Hello, everyone. Today's commentary is called "Godless Communists: The Devastating Human Cost of Atheism." Communism begins where atheism begins. That's from Karl Marx. Why do those who claim to be faithful Judeo-Christian religious followers support acts of evil? Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden claim to be devout Catholics, but advance an agenda counter to the sacred religious doctrine of their church. George Soros raises anti-Semitism like the Iron Dome over Jerusalem against anyone who attacks his leftist politics. Justin Trudeau's public coming out party a quarter century ago came through delivery of his late father's eulogy in a Catholic cathedral in Montreal, despite the fact that Pierre Elliott Trudeau was an avowed atheist and communist ideologue. These elitists claim to have compartmentalized their religion from politics, but nowhere in the Bible are we granted license to lead dual lives, one in service of God and another contradicting his will. They can only expect to see a paternal frown once they find themselves before the Almighty on Judgment Day. This disconnect is not merely an issue for politicians. Many so-called faithful are loyal supporters of the federal liberals, a party which seems to revel in violation of God's will, as expressed in the Bible. Perhaps it is simply out of habit at this point, or it may be that they actually believe the narrative that their rivals are right-wing extremists and therefore evil. We cannot know for certain what is in the hearts of others, but we can expect them to consider more than the narrative fed to them by the mass media before voting in support of the Prime Minister's anti-human, nation-destroying policies and laws like Bill C-18. They should consider what, in fact, they are voting to support. In its present form, the Liberal Party of Canada is a collection of Laurentian elite oligarchs and sycophant collectivists. The oligarchs, like the Trudeaus, use government connections to increase their wealth and power. The collectivists, communists, socialists, progressives, leftists, liberals, etc., use the power of government to compel individual sacrifice. They want equity. However, their call for sharing the wealth is not Christian charity, which is a self-evident social good. Rather, it is a demand for confiscation and redistribution backed by state force, using taxation, regulation, and even law enforcement. Liberals and their NDP sidekicks have evolved into the party of robber barons and Robin Hoods, targeting individuals and families to advance their Marxist agenda. The robber barons use their resources to buy government influence from a reservoir of politicians willing to sell. That influence is used to crush their competitors without winning customers. They lobby for regulations which make it nearly impossible for small business to compete. They benefit from government handouts which give them unfair market advantage because they are too big to fail. Case in point, SNC-Lavalin. And when the government decides to give commerce a timeout to fight a virus, they make sure that theirs are the only businesses which remain open. The robber barons use their partnership with government to give them a captive market of consumers or taxpayers who pay for all of it with their product purchases. The Robin Hoods are also takers from individuals. They operate upon the premise that the needs of the many supersede the rights of the individual. Communists demand state control of everything, with the promise of utopia through equity. Socialists strive for equity through seizure 
and redistribution of private property, all in the name of social justice. Liberals demand that we atone for the past sins of others via reparations. In return, they insist that the beneficiaries lay aside their personal preferences and vote en masse for their benefactors. Progressives demand that we forgo our independence and live in 15-minute megacity hives, all to save the planet from an insoluble weather crisis caused by a suburban footprint. So, does any of this sophistry square with God's will for us? Holders of Judeo-Christian beliefs know that God etched his laws on stone tablets so that we could not forget them. His commandments can be distilled into three basic categories. The first is to honor God. Thou shalt have no other gods. Thou shalt not make any graven images. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord in vain. Do evil in the name of the Lord. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. The second is to honor the family. Honor thy father and mother. And thou shalt not commit adultery. The third is to honor the individual. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. And thou shalt not covet. These commandments define how we ought to conduct ourselves relative to God, family, and each other. But do you notice what is missing here? There's nary a single word about any obligation to the earth, to the state, to the corporation, to the majority, to the community, or to the ethnic tribe. Despite this, the Trudeau liberals operate as if there are exceptions to God's laws, a compartmentalization of transgressions, if you will. Place nothing before God except the state, from which God must be excluded. Do not steal except through state-sponsored robbery and redistribution. Do not covet unless that which you covet belongs to the wealthy. Do not bear false witness except against conservatives. Do not kill except in the name of reproductive health care or euthanasia. Honor your father and mother unless parental consent interferes with state-sponsored narratives like mutilation of children otherwise known as gender-affirming care. Some justify state seizure of property by pointing out that Christ told the Jews to pay their taxes when he said, Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. However, that was not an endorsement of state-sponsored robbery. Note the distinction between peacefully giving to those who make demands of us, which is charity, and demanding more from others for ourselves, which is avarice. Christ was telling the Jews to meet their trivial financial obligations to the state, but to keep their vastly more important religious duties to God. He was not suggesting that Jews lobby for more taking of others' property for redistribution. That would be covetous, and yet many Christians actually equate their faith with communism. Quote, I am a Christian. That obliges me to be a communist. End quote. That's George Bernard Shaw. Clearly, we can live in a society which does not adhere to God's teachings and still be faithful. Where we live is mostly a matter of choice. What we believe is also our choice. People in communist China cannot choose their birthplace, but they can still choose whether they live secular or spiritual lives. However, unlike in communist utopias, we are self-government. Our vote is an expression of our free will. Given our freedom to choose, we are answerable for the fruits of our choices. Can we deny the legitimacy of God's involvement in our affairs without placing state before God? 
Can we counsel that some thefts are justified and not bear fault for consequent looting? Can we legitimize known liars without being guilty of the lies they use against our fellow men? Can we quietly accept the destruction of families with impunity? Is not a vote for a party which actively works against God's commandments tacit support of their evil, anti-human agenda? Fortunately, governments are temporary. They have no afterlife, no soul which must answer for sins. But people of religious faith know that there is a day of judgment coming for us all. Those who use the government as an instrument of their will must answer for the evils that they unleash. Christians believe that all sins are forgivable through repentance. Can a faithful Judeo-Christian follower also be a loyal liberal voter? Perhaps it would be unchristian to judge them. We are all fallen and make mistakes. But when we are called to answer for our transgressions, we will not just be judged for our individual acts of wrongdoing. We will also be made to account for those acts which we charge others to commit in our name by electing them to rule over us. It is not too much to expect them to have basic respect for the sanctity of life, which is a quality sorely lacking in those who are godless. So what kind of government offers suicide as a final solution to the problems of its citizenry? A menacing spirit of despair has wormed its way into the soul of the West. If Americans would only look to their immediate north, a grisly future beckons. For here in Canada, not only is death being embraced as an answer to the somber realities of modern existence, it is being institutionalized as a ministry in service to mass cultural hopelessness. Nearly 50,000 Americans took their own lives in 2022. According to provisional data from the CDC, that is the highest number on record. In Canada, which has only one-tenth of the U.S. population, there were nearly 14,000 suicides last year. Again, that is an all-time record for our once Christian country. According to the CDC, the U.S. increase cuts through demographic categories. Seniors recorded the largest increase amongst age categories tracked, with suicide rates up 8% from 2021. However, those aged 45 to 64 saw a 6.6% rise, and the rate for the 25 to 44 demographic increased 0.7%. There are multiple possible explanations for the stark increase, which cannot be explored in depth here. But there are a couple of salient trends. Mental and physical health are rapidly deteriorating in the U.S. and Canada pointing to a fundamental situation in which human beings quite simply do not thrive in the atheistic, collectivist culture that we have created for them today. In 2021, nearly 25% of U.S. adults aged 18 and older reported having a mental illness in the preceding year. This is according to the U.S. Census Bureau. Hospitalizations and emergency room visits for suicide attempts and ideation rose nationally, among children and teens from 2016 to 21, according to a study published in July of 2023 by the Journal of the American Medical Association. Other recent research similarly shows a rise in recent mental health challenges among youths, particularly adolescent girls. A 2021 CDC survey found that 57% of teen girls reported feeling persistently sad or hopeless, and 22% of teens overall 
said that they had seriously considered self-murder. Even before the pandemic, the CDC reported that 20% of teenagers experienced episodes of major depression, and these numbers are much higher in the now exploding transgender community. This chronic and perhaps deliberate refusal to tie the increase in mental health problems, especially in the young, to the dismal state of physical health in North America, further serves to obfuscate the true scope of what must be regarded as a massive public emergency. As Liberty Nation documented in March of 2023, quote, New reports reveal what anyone walking around in much of this country can already see for themselves. The obesity crisis in America is getting worse. Excess weight or obesity boosts risk of death by anywhere from 22 to 91 percent, significantly more than previously believed. A February 23 University of Colorado summary of a new report reads, while the mortality risk of being slightly underweight has likely been overestimated, in the early 1960s, around 5% of U.S. children and teens were obese. By 2019, that total rose to 19%. Should current trends continue, some reports estimate 57% of children between ages 2 to 19 will be obese adults in 2050, end quote. Given all of this, it should be most alarming to see what Canada is doing to industrialize a culture of despondency that ends in state-induced death. The Toronto Globe and Mail reported on August 9, 2023, quote, Catherine Mentler, 37, lives with chronic depression and suicidality, both of which she says were exacerbated by a traumatic event earlier this year. Feeling particularly vulnerable in June, she went to Vancouver General Hospital looking for psychiatric help in dealing with feelings of hopelessness she feared she couldn't shake. Instead, Mrs. Mentler says a clinician told her there would be long waits to see a psychiatrist and that the health care system is broken. That was followed by a jarring question. Have you considered MAID? MAID, or Medical Assistance in Dying, is Canada's official euthanasia program. From its inception in 2016, it has been plagued by constant accusations that it pressures vulnerable people seeking help to self-murder with government assistance. The cited Globe and Mail piece goes on to state that, quote, publicized cases have fueled criticisms that the life-ending procedure is being offered in lieu of sufficient mental health and social reports. In April of 2022, CTV News reported that a 51-year-old Ontario woman with severe sensitivities to chemicals chose MAID after failing to find affordable housing free of cigarette smoke and chemical cleaners. And last August, Global News reported that a Canadian Forces veteran seeking treatment for post-traumatic stress disorder and a traumatic brain injury was unexpectedly offered MAID by a Veteran Affairs Canada employee. This is all perfectly logical. An overtly materialistic Western ethos has evolved to take a purely utilitarian approach to human life. Value judgments are being placed upon unique individuals that favor only the perceived material benefit or burden they present in the eyes of governing officials. If you think for a moment that this is an overstatement, then consider this. MAID has been acknowledged as a major boom to organ donation in Canada's most populous province. Trillium Gift of Life Network is now the official organ donation intermediary for the Ontario government.
According to a January 2020 Ottawa Citizen piece, in the first 11 months of 2019, MAID patients there accounted for 18 organ and 95 tissue donations, which was a 14% increase over the previous year and a 109% increase over 2017. Organ donation in Canada has continued to rise since then, such that we are now performing more organ transplants from MAID donors than any country in the world. Drink that in for a moment. We are now the global leader in suicide-led human organ harvesting. Meanwhile, an Alberta woman recently died after being denied eligibility to even be on a list of potential lung transplant recipients solely because she refused to be injected with the life-threatening COVID-19 drugs. Trillium even admitted that it encourages Ontarians choosing MAID to consider organ donation. Their CEO, Ronnie Gavsey, told The Citizen, quote, As part of high-quality end-of-life care, we make sure that all patients and families are provided with the information they need and the opportunity to make a decision on whether they wish to make a donation, end quote. If that were not enough, Trillium staffers are now a mandatory part of the euthanasia process in Ontario. They do not merely engage in discussions with the suicidal, they initiate them. Document found on the Trillium webpage entitled Organ Tissue Donation Following Made Program Development Toolkit openly states, quote, to provide the best possible support to patients, their families, and healthcare professionals, TGLN requires notification after a request for MAID is received in writing and one physician has confirmed the patient meets the eligibility requirements, end quote. Simply put, you cannot kill yourself in Ontario via MAID without an affiliated agency of the government first imploring you to donate your organs. This ultimately means that a local government of a prominent Western nation has a material incentive to see its citizens succumb to deaths of despair. Human beings as mere economic units on a government list. That has been the hallmark of tyrannies from time immemorial. According to a disturbingly pleasant graphic from Information is Beautiful, entitled simply 20th Century Death, communism was the leading ideological cause of death between 1900 and 2000. The 94 millions that perished in China, the Soviet Union, North Korea, Cuba, and elsewhere easily exceed the 28 million that died under the similarly atheistic fascist regimes of that same period. During the century measured, more people died as a result of communism than from homicide, 58 million, and genocide, 30 million, combined. The total deaths from World War I, 37 million, and World War II, 66 million, exceed communism's morbidity by merely 9 million casualties. And there's a cogent argument to be made that communism is a major catalyst of warfare. Natural disasters during the 20th century accounted for 24 million deaths and famines for 101 million more. Not surprisingly, all of the world's worst famines of the last century occurred in communist countries, such as China, twice, the Soviet Union, and North Korea. Communism is a killer. According to the Black Book of Communism by Stephanie Courtois, during the 20th century, mass killings under communist regimes occurred through various means, including executions, famine, forced labor, deportation, 
starvation, and imprisonment. Some of these events have been classified as genocides and crimes against humanity. Few would deny any longer that communism, Marxism-Leninism, and its variants, meant in practice bloody terrorism, deadly purges, lethal gulags, forced labor, fatal deportations, man-made famines, extrajudicial executions, and show trials, and genocide. It is also known that many millions of innocent people were murdered in cold blood. These are all categories of what can be called democide, a term which means for governments what murder does for an individual under the criminal law. Democide is the premeditated killing of a person in cold blood or causing the death of a person through reckless and wanton disregard for their life. Does made not precisely fit this definition? And how can we understand all of this killing by communists? It is the marriage of an absolutist ideology and absolute power. Communists believe that they know the truth absolutely. That is why they are atheistic. They must destroy the truth, the way, utterly. They believe that through Marxism, they can bring about the greatest possible human welfare and happiness. They believe that power must be used to tear down the old Christian capitalist order and then rebuild society and culture to realize this utopia. Nothing must stand in the way of this achievement. Government, the state, is thus above any law. All institutions, cultural norms, traditions, and sentiments are expendable. The people are as mere lumber or bricks to be applied or expended to remake the entire world. Constructing this utopia is seen through the lens of a war on poverty, exploitation, oppression, imperialism, and inequality. For the greater good, as an actual war, people are killed. This war for the communist utopia has as its necessary enemy casualties, including the clergy, the church, the working class, capitalists, wreckers, counter-revolutionaries, freedom fighters, landlords, and non-conformists inadvertently caught up in the battle. In a war, millions may die, but the cause will be well justified, as in the battle to save the planet from climate catastrophe or from a pandemic. To many communists, the cause of their utopia is such as to justify all deaths. That is why we see the videos of World Economic Forum leaders regularly speaking casually about the need to destroy seven-eighths of the planet's human population. The irony of this is that communism in practice, even after decades of total control in the 20th century, never improved the lot of the average person, but almost invariably made their living conditions worse. But the communists cannot be wrong. After all, their knowledge is scientific, based upon historical materialism. In other words, communism is a fanatical religion. It has its own revealed text and chief interpreters, Marx, Lenin, Stalin, Mao, etc. It has its own priests and their ritualistic prose with all the answers. It has a heaven and the proper behavior to reach it. It has its own appeal to faith and it has its relentless crusade against non-believers. What makes this secular atheistic religion so utterly lethal is its seizure of all the state's instruments of force and coercion and their immediate use to destroy or control all independent sources of power, such as the church, the professions, private businesses, schools, universities, and of course, the family. As a government's power becomes more unrestrained, as it reaches into all corners of culture and society, 
as it is less democratic, then the more likely it is to kill its own citizens. There's more than a mere correlation here. As totalitarian power increases, democide multiplies until it curves sharply upward when totalitarianism is nearly absolute. As a governing elite gains the power to do whatever it wants with impunity, whether to satisfy its most personal desires, to pursue what it believes to be right and true, it may do so regardless of the resulting cost in human lives. In this case, power is a necessary condition for mass murder. Once an elite have it, other causes and conditions can be operated to bring about the immediate genocide, terrorism, massacres, pogroms, famines, or whatever killing an elite considers warranted. Communism has been the greatest social engineering experiment the world has ever seen. It failed utterly in the 20th century, but is experiencing a frightening renaissance today in the West. But there is a larger lesson to be learned from this horrendous sacrifice to one ideology. That is that no one can be trusted with power. The more centralized power has to impose the beliefs of an ideological elite or the whims of a dictator, the more likely it is that human lives will be sacrificed. This is but one reason, perhaps the most important one, why freedom, prosperity, democracy, and overall human flourishing are only found in states which recognize and affirm the supremacy of God and the rule of law. Quote, atheism is the natural and inseparable part of communism. That was Vladimir Lenin.